Now we're going to <clears throat> going to read the Bible together. We're going to turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter eighteen. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 9 to verse 17. Uh, It's page 1052. If you've got a pew Bible, it's page 1052. Luke chapter 18, 9 to 17. This is God's Word. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down upon everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from his word. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn together to Luke chapter 18. We're going to think about this parable, page 1052, Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, as the authorized version used to refer uh, to the tax collector, the Pharisee and the tax collector. I, I consider this to be one of the the most important parables Jesus told, really, really crucial, deals with the most important question that anybody faces. How is a person made right with God? That's the, the point at the end of the parable, that the tax collector goes home justified. In other words, in the right with God, saved. And the Pharisee, by contrast, is lost. So, so what, a, what a really crucial issue. All of eternity, you think about it, all of eternity is stretching out before these two men, and one of them leaves the temple that day ready to enter it, and the other one not. And, and the, the, one of the scary things about this parable, I think, is that the, the one who is not ready doesn't really seem to know he's not ready. We're not given any indication that, that he knows. And, and, and Jesus, therefore, tells this story to us, to show us how a person can be right with God. We can't really think of an issue that's more important to consider. So so this is a parable that's really important, but it's also a parable that's really surprising, because it would certainly have been to those who were listening to Jesus tell it. The thought that a tax collector could be right with God and ready for eternity, and a Pharisee would not be, would just be unthinkable to a first century audience. And again, that's that's one of the reasons why it's really important because it, (coughs) excuse me, it underlines that that if we just approach God uh, according to our hunches, according to sort of homespun wisdom, we may well get it wrong. We probably will get it wrong. 
This was brought home to me very uh, powerfully, I think, whenever I heard, I'm sure 20 years ago, a, a preacher introduce this parable with a story that, that uh, I adapted a little and used here 10 years ago. Some of you might remember it. Many of you will not, I'm sure. I, I, but but it, it really helped me to see the, the impact with which uh, the first readers would have, first listeners would have heard it. Here's the story. John and Billy went to church one day. As John walked up the aisle, he felt a certain sense of comfort. Church was just so familiar to him. He'd come up through the Sunday school. He'd been involved in all the youth organizations. He knew most of the congregation. And he walked up to his normal seat and he sat down. He he, he bowed his head for a moment or two. He knew that his grandmother did that and it looked quite holy. I, I wonder how many people noticed my new shirt, he thought to himself. Finally, he settled back and and flicked open the Bible reading. And as he did, so he he thought to himself, how satisfying it is to know that you're a good Christian. Church wasn't so familiar to Billy, however. He hovered about outside before he finally plucked up enough courage to come in. And as he slipped into the back pew, he he really wished he'd dressed up for the occasion. But when he left the house that morning, he never imagined that he'd end up in church. But he didn't really know why he was, he was there. Uh, perhaps it was the growing sense he'd had over the last weeks that his life was a real mess, that the final straw had been the previous night when his girlfriend had thrown him out because she'd found that he'd been cheating on her. And, and now he sat in church feeling thoroughly miserable and a little bit hungover. He dropped his head into his hands and he whispered, God help me, change me. I tell you, it was Billy who went home saved that day, and not John. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Well, that's sort of the story that I heard 20 years ago. And at the time, it it, it really spoke to me, and I thought, my goodness, so much of our hunches are just wrong when it comes to how a person gets right with God. So here's a parable that's really important, really surprising, and we do well to to attend to what Jesus is saying. Now, uh, we're going to sing at the end of uh, the service, Rock of Ages, Clare for Me. It has those two lines in it uh, that are really helpful. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And we're going to use those sort of as, as titles to describe these two men uh, as to how they approach God. I had a PowerPoint which I'd left at home, but uh, it simply said, first of all, something in my hand I bring. Because that's the, that's the Pharisee, something in my hand I bring. I'm coming to you, God, and I think I've got something to offer. So Jesus tells us in verse 10 that <clears throat> both men went to the temple to pray. Now, it probably means they were going to a a public service of worship, a service at which a a lamb was sacrificed and the congregation would watch this ritual. They would realize that, or they should realize that it was speaking of the blood being spilled for their sins. And there came a point in the service where incense was burned. And and as the incense was burned and sort of ascended to heaven, the 
people had an opportunity to pray, either quietly or out loud, as it seems this Pharisee did. There are a number of ways that we could translate verse 11. Some people have taken it to read, the Pharisee stood up and prayed to himself. Uh, That's a, a thought in itself that we could be praying, believing that God is hearing us when in fact we're really not doing anything more than talking to ourselves. Some people have taken it like that, but it's, it's probably better translated as the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. In other words, here he is. He's, he's really full of his own importance, and he's concerned with what he sees as his own holiness, and so he doesn't really want to gather with the other worshipers that day. They're, they're sort of below him, and he remains apart, aloof, Uh, thinking that he's too good to be associated with the others who were there to worship God. Remember, Jesus tells this parable, as verse 9 says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. And he prays out loud, and, and Pharisees did that at times. And each of his words was chosen to tear down those who were listening and to lift himself up. And as he looks around, he sort of lists all those that he's better than, and at the climax of his list is this, tax collector. And he goes on to remind God of his exemplary life, fasting twice a week, tithing all that he gets. And the Pharisees, of course, lived by the Old Testament law, or they claim to. And in the Old Testament, you were required to fast, but only once a year, and only certain things were required to be tithed. But not this Pharisee. He, he made sure that he went much further than the law required, but he wanted people to know about it. Pharisees commonly fasted on Mondays and Thursdays, and and they were the market days, the busy days in Jerusalem. And so whenever that happened, they whitened their faces to sort of show that they were fasting, and they stood on the street corners so that everybody knew what they were doing. And that's why uh, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, when you fast to his disciples, when you fast, do do not look somber as the hypocrites do, the Pharisees do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. So here's a man, this Pharisee, who he's, he's proud of his achievements. When, when uh, Jews normally prayed, they, they had a pattern for prayer where they thank God for his blessings, very similar to what we would do. They thank God for his blessings and they pray for their needs. But if you analyze what this man does, he, he doesn't really do either of those things. He doesn't really pray at all. You, you just get the impression he's, he's listing his his qualities to God. It's, it's like those awful questions in a job interview. So, uh, sir or madam, what, what, what strengths do you have to, to bring to our company? And off you go and you list all of your strengths. Well, well, that's exactly what he's doing, isn't he? He's, he's just sort of saying to God, if you have me, and of course he thinks that God does have him, if you have me, you will really have picked the best candidate. Now, it's just at this point, of course, that the Pharisee falls down. He, he has no sense of his need for God. He, he, he goes to the temple to pray, but not out of any hunger for God. He really just goes to assure himself and, and those who overhear him of his own goodness. Because as far as God is concerned, as he thinks about God, he, he, he really thinks that he doesn't lack anything. And so he doesn't really need anything from God. And one of the reasons that he feels no need for 
God is because of his attitude to the law. You, you see that he has developed this large series of rules by which he lives his life. And as long as he carries out these rules, he, he thinks that he's, he's pretty much in the right with God. And there's something very secure about rules. You know, when, when we obey the rules, we, we, we feel good about ourselves. And we can usually look to the rules that we keep to divert our attention from the rules that we, we break. But there's another reason he feels good about himself, and that is that he compares himself to others. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And in many ways, of course, he was right. He wasn't. He was not like those people. He, he, he lived a fairly pure life in some ways. And the, <coughs> excuse me, the fact that he could look at other people and think to himself, I'm not like that, well, it had dulled our sen- his sense of need for God. He had this sort of, you know, comparative righteousness. I, I remember illustrating this sometimes by, by thinking of the house that I grew up in, 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 in Kilkeela, in the countryside out, outside Kilkeela. It was a, a fairly white house, and, and, and if you stood at a distance, if you were over the fields and you were looking back and there were fields behind the house, it sort of stood out as, as quite white and pristine. But, but when it snowed, and of course in those days it really did snow. We don't have snow now, really. But, but when it snowed, it, it didn't look white at all. It looked quite gray and grubby. Because the, the perfect whiteness of the snow had shown it up to be less than perfect itself. And that's exactly what this Pharisee was thinking. He, he was, was celebrating his grayness and grubbiness against the whiteness of the perfection of God. And he really didn't know that he needed God's mercy. So he's coming to use the, or to change the words of our hymn, he's coming with something in his hand, something in my hand I bring. His record, his performance, his comparative righteousness. And that caused him, of course, to look down on everybody else because they weren't performing as he thought as well as he was. And he was sure that God would reward him for his performance. And as I said at the start, that's one of the really disturbing aspects of this story. I think it's at least questionable whether the Pharisee ever really knew that he was lost. He goes home not justified. But there doesn't seem to be any awareness of that, that fact. And isn't that a thought that, that, that this false confidence leads him to be unaware that his trust is in the wrong place. Now, that is really the issue for him. What is he trusting in? You remember our diagnostic question. It comes from uh, Christianity Explored, I think. That, that diagnostic question that really opens this up. If you were to die tonight and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And, and, and that's a question that's just designed to... to tease out what it is we're really placing our trust in. And we can see what the Pharisee would say. You should let me in, God, because I'm not like other men. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. You should let me in because of something in my hand. And it's that answer, that attitude, that keeps him lost. And yet how common that is. If, if, if we were to go out this afternoon with clipboards and go to Tannockmore Gardens and Tesco's and wherever else people are gathering 
and we were to ask them, if you were to die tonight, why should God let you into heaven? So many people, I would suggest, would say, well, I've been a, a, a reasonably good person. I, 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 I'm, I'm doing my best. I've got something in my hand. You see, it's where, it's where the hunches of a fallen human heart naturally take us as we think about approaching God. So there's the wrong, the wrong model as far as Jesus is concerned. Something in my hand. Well, what about the alternative? Nothing in my hand. This is the, the tax collector. And things are very different from him. Of course, tax collectors uh, in, in those days were, were very much seen as crooks. They, they worked for the Romans. You know how the system worked. They, they, they bid uh, to say, uh, well, I will get a certain amount of revenue from this geographical area. And the, the contract was awarded to the highest tax collector, the, the, the highest bid from the tax collector. And, and they would have employed sub-collectors and, and they would have extorted really as much money as they could from that particular area with the sort of the authority of the Romans behind them. And whatever above their quote they could get for themselves, that was how they earned their income. And so, so they, they had a, a great motive for, for dishonesty and they were genuinely and generally dishonest people. Very well uh, known within the Bible, often linked with uh, notorious sinners and so on. That was the level of society that they sat at. There's not really even a, a, an easy sort of equivalent in our society. And yet such a man as this finds himself at the temple praying. And he doesn't gather with the other worshippers, but, but not because he feels himself above them. Quite the reverse. It feels that he doesn't even see himself as worthy to approach the people of God. If the Pharisee is self-confident, the tax collector is humble. And he stands at a distance, not daring to lift his eyes to God in case God would strike him down perhaps. And he beats his breast, a, a sign of extreme grief, something that, that in that culture uh, normally only women did. And, and so here was a man in, in, in great distress that was not concerned about what other people thought of him. And he, was con he, he knew that he had nothing to parade before God, no good deeds that he could say, here God, look at this. He can only cry out and say, God be merciful to me, a sinner. In fact, actually what he says perhaps is, God be merciful to me, this sinner. At that moment, he felt as if he was the only sinner in all the world, that, that, that God was pointing out his sin so clearly that out of all humanity, he deserved judgment more than anyone else. And so he comes to that temple that day, comes to God that day, and says, God be merciful to me. Nothing in my hand I bring. Now, one of the things that's sometimes said about this parable is that it doesn't really tell us how someone becomes a Christian. It tells us these principles by which to approach God, but doesn't really tell us how someone uh, gets made right with God. And, and uh, even if that were a, a valid criticism, it wouldn't be a particular problem because, of course, not every parable tells us everything. But I do think it actually does at least hint at how a person is justified because the, the tax collector is not just appealing to God's better nature here. He's in the temple. He's at a service, you remember. 
And he and the other worshipers are watching a lamb be sacrificed for the sins of the people. There's time to pray. And then when he cries out to God for mercy, the words that he, could, that he says could, could also be translated like this, God, make an atonement for me. So you think of the picture. He's, he's standing at a distance. He's, he's looking at the altar. The sacrifice for sin is on it. And he's, he's saying to God, God, I'm watching this lamb be slain. I'm watching this blood be spilt for sin. And I'm, I just know my sin. And, and Lord, make, make that pay for me. Make your sacrifice pay for me. Let me be atoned for. Make me right with you. So you see, the Pharisee trusted his own righteousness. He felt no need of God. He left the temple condemned. The tax collector came seeking God. He looked to the sacrifice. He, he threw himself in God's mercy. He asked for his sin to be paid for. And he left the temple accepted by God. You see how the order is reversed in verse 10. It's the Pharisee who's introduced first. And now at the end of the story, it's the tax collector who is spoken of first. God reverses the commonly accepted order of these two men. It's his verdict, of course, that matters. Isn't it amazing to think that, that as Jesus tells this story of the man looking to the sacrifice and pleading for mercy, that Jesus knew that he was the, that he was the sacrifice? He was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. He would soon lay down his life. <coughs> his blood would soon be spilled. He would be the one to whom people would look and cry, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, I'm coming to you without anything to plead. I'm coming only with my sin. I have nothing in my hand. I, I meant to read it, but, but we... I forgot to read it. The story goes on in Luke's gospel. tells of the, the parents bringing their children to Jesus and the disciples rebuke them. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not enter the, the kingdom of God, receive the kingdom of God like a little child, will never enter it. And those two stories are put side by side for a reason. They're, they they, they speak to one another. What qualities is, is Jesus drawing attention to here in the children? It's not their innocence because the tax collector was not innocent. He'd been a bad man. It's the fact that these children have nothing, nothing of their own to bring. Children come empty and asking, isn't that right? They come empty and asking whether by words or by cries. And this is the tax collector. I've got nothing. Have mercy on me. Nothing in my hand I bring. So Jesus tells this parable, so important. How should we come to God? With nothing in our hand. And if we're coming like that, we, we can't look down on anybody else. We, we, we can't come saying, I'm empty, but I'm less empty than him or her. Like us, other sinners need a savior too. So when it comes to being right with God, why should he welcome you? Why should he welcome me? How would you answer that question? Not because of anything in us, but because of his mercy. 
And therefore, today, we have hope. Let's pray together. Lord, we've got to confess that, that sometimes we go with our hunches rather than your word. We think that, that you are more predisposed towards people whose performance is impressive. And yet the reality is all of us are empty and all of us need a Savior. But thank you, O Lord, that as we look to the sacrifice, who is Jesus Christ, that you are full of mercy. The cross shows us that. So, Lord, help us today to, to not be in any doubt of that. Help us today to, to know that because we've looked to Jesus, because Jesus has given his life for us, we, we are welcomed, justified, saved. And if if, Lord, if some of us are not yet, help us to see that what we're holding on to, what's in our hands, is useless. But that empty-handed, we may come to you. Hear us, Lord, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name.